All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. I want to welcome you to our first service of the new year, 2023, and I want to wish you a happy new year as we begin. Um, Next Sunday, our Sunday school classes will resume, so you can be aware of that. Next, or this Friday night coming, is the Ladies' Feast and Fellowship, so that's a special gathering for the ladies on Friday night. Details for that are out at the community blend table out in the foyer, so make sure you get signed up for that, and uh, hopefully can come for a really nice night of fellowship, some time in the Word, some time in prayer, and I hope that you're uh, able to come and enjoy that. So the news that we want to share with you that we've been anticipating for a long time is that the Monahans, uh, Hannah and Andrew, had their triplets. So if you're... So there are some people that are very excited about that, okay? Um, So the babies are all doing well. And if I'm correct, Sandy, that when they get to four pounds, they can come home. Okay, so all of them are under four pounds currently. All right, so uh, just continue to pray for their health, for their growth. Uh, they've had, the one has had a number of surgeries already, but God has brought uh, them through well. And uh, I see the Camellas here, your grandson is doing good. All right, your grandson had open heart surgery a few weeks ago. But, uh, little guy, seven years old, so we praise God for... Uh, for that progress and for that good news. So we rejoice in all of these things uh, that we, we have to give thanks for. As we begin this new year, I don't know, for you, for me, it's often just a time to kind of pause and to thank God for a new season of beginnings, right? Uh, new opportunities, uh, kind of sometimes a new perspective a little bit that we have on life and on the circumstances that are surrounding us, uh, opportunities, challenges, but there are times to take steps forward, right? And uh, to see things happen. It's a fascinating verse in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, and it's interesting, it's a request. It says, God, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of understanding, that we might have the insight that we need so that our life can be lived most effectively for the glory of God. And I think often we're looking for happiness, and that really shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should be that God would be being glorified in our lives, so that in this new year, God, help me to see things the way you want me to see them, to respond to circumstances the way you want me to, so that your name can be glorified in and through my life. So I would challenge you as you look to the new year that the goal is not my happiness, which we're always saying happy new year, right? The goal should be that God will be more increasingly magnified in my life because of how I live and how I respond to the circumstances that I'm facing, whether they're good, whether they're hard, whether they're joyful, right? So that he will be glorified. So the psalmist says, God, teach me to number my days, to count the opportunity and opportunity to glorify you. Okay, so I want to encourage you to do that this morning. As we go to prayer this morning, we're going to ask Al and Pat to come over this way. Al is going in for surgery this week for his shoulder, so they ask that we would pray with them and for them. And I think having them come and stand before you is a way for you to be reminded to be praying for them. So your surgery is what day, Al? Uh, Thursday. On Thursday, okay. 
So we love this couple. They're sweet people. And we want to ask for God's blessing on our shoulder surgery, okay? So let's pray together. Father, as we begin this new year, we are grateful for the things that give us uh, great joy. Uh, thank you for the birth of these three little uh, infant babies. Uh, God, so small that they would virtually fit in the palm of our hands. Uh, God, thank you for your protection months ago uh, in the life of one that needed surgery, even in the womb. Uh, God, thank you for uh, Hannah and Andrew's courage uh, to see this all the way through. Uh, despite the uh, advice that was being given by the medical community, thank you that they have this week enjoyed the beautiful gift of life and life abundantly, Lord. I think we would easily and gladly say. So protection over those babies to help them to gain weight quickly and may their lives, God, above all things, be for your glory. I pray for uh, Al and Pat this week as uh, Al goes in for surgery on Thursday. Father, we pray that your hand would rest on him. Uh, we count him as a dear brother in Christ, a real blessing to us, both he and his wife. And we trust that uh, the hands of the surgeons would be directed effectively and that there would be protection from any infections and that the outcome uh, would be uh, a greater ability on Al's part to serve you with the days that you've given him to live. Now, Lord, as we come to worship you in this new year, uh, let us exalt your name together. Let us rejoice in you. Let us glory in you. Let us see you more clearly, I pray. Uh, for those in our church family, Lord, that have been dealing with extended uh, illnesses. It just uh, comes to my mind this morning. Lord, there are many. Your blessing upon them. Thank you for your favor bringing them into this new year and to help them to see how you will be most glorified in their lives. And we pray all these blessings in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. There's a king. There is a king seated among us. Let every heart receive him now. Where there is praise, he will inhabit. There will be grace and mercy all. Every burden, every burden will be lifted in his presence. Every trophy will be laid down at his feet. There is a name that reigns above all others. Jesus Christ, the King above all. Unto the Lamb, unto the Lamb, honor and glory, worthy is He, 
Crown him the Lord of love. And crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. No Crown him the Lord of life, we triumph. And crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave. Who rose victorious to the strife for those he came to save. His glory. may die. Let's crown the Lord of heaven. And crown him the Lord of heaven. And in worlds above. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Dawn. 
darkness you give hope you restore every heart and great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you give life you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore, you restore every heart that is broken and great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you. Oh, it's your breath, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Yes, to you only, Lord. And all our praise and all our worship, it's only to you. And all the earth, and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth, and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. 
your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Yes, Lord, to you only. We sing to you, Lord. Give us life. You put the air in our lungs. We give it back to you in praise. Sing, man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. By his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood, My salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. The sense of heaven, the sense of heaven. To purchase and redeem and reconcile and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Thank you, Lord. And all that rugged cross, my salvation. Blood 
that my Jesus built. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold, no hold on me. Who the sun sets free, and oh, is free indeed. And oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Lord, praise and honor to you, Lord. As we start this new year, God, we look to you. We lay all our plans at your feet, God. We look to you as our, our guide, Lord. Of course, you are our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that you are not dead, but you are alive. We're not going into 2023 with a dead God, but a living God. And that's been the case. That's been the case since you rose out of the grave, Lord. Our hearts can cry hallelujah, Lord, because of what you've done for us, saving us, redeeming us, forgiving us. It doesn't mean 2023 is going to be easy. I'm sure there will be hardships along the way. We've heard about a few coming up, Lord, that people are facing. But you are facing them with them. Lord, some people in this room have experienced devastating situations and circumstances. Some things beyond what we can uh, possibly comprehend, that I can comprehend sometimes, thinking how can people walk through those things? But you are merciful. And you have shown in the Bible repeatedly and consistently that you are there for your people, for those who believe. We look to you, God. Help us not to fall away, to trust you in the hard times, not just to trust you in the good times, but in the hard times too. We thank you, Lord, for your word that we get to hear from, from Pastor James today. Thank you that he's trusted you in the good times and in the hard times. May all those experiences, the experiences of his own life, Lord, his experience of walking with you, may, Lord, it come out today in his sermon. And may it be a beautiful time as we continue to worship as we hear your word. We thank you for this time of worship and song. 
I ask you to help us to hear what Pastor James has for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. First, uh, children can be dismissed for junior church. I guess first, Happy New Year. Oh, they're all tired. (laughs) Happy New Year. This is it. There we go. And say happy birthday to my mother who's not here. So that's the second thing. I... Happy birthday. My mom's a New Year's baby. Actually, this week is a little crazy in our family. We go... Uh, New Year's with my mom, tomorrow's my daughter Hannah's birthday, and then Friday's my daughter Abby's birthday, so, oh, (laughs) right after Christmas, yeah, you're you're correct. Um, So, uh, third, uh, the gentlemen are handing out some notes that are back there, hopefully there's enough, and if not, I may need you to share uh, just some notes. When you sit down and actually uh, plan out a sermon, it's, it's actually funny because uh, you sit down and think about the things that you want to share with the congregation that you believe the Lord has laid on your heart. And then you put it down on paper, and then you sit there and go, I, there's no way I'm getting through all of this in one sermon. <laughs> so, so I may do an audible. Uh, Tim may be, and Doug may have to, uh, I may have to do an audible. We'll see. The topic I have for today is the topic of regret. It's interesting that you begin a new year, and as you begin this new year, oftentimes people will uh, think about resolutions, new plans for the future, the hopes for the future. And they put down this list of resolutions. I got my journal here, and that's what they will do oftentimes. They will write in the journal. And they will create these goals, this list, these resolutions that they hope to accomplish throughout 2023, throughout the whole year, and then it's done in about 23 days. It's gone. For some of us, we don't ever put down any resolutions because we live our lives with regret. We find ourselves revisiting the past, past decisions that we've made, or past events in our lives, And maybe we have this tendency to compare those events with what might have happened. Do you ever do that? You know, if only I had done this, if only I had done that. And wishing that things had been different. And what what happened is this, we hope that things have been different, but what we do is we empower the events of our past and they hurt us in our present. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself stuck in the past. Maybe you find yourself losing the hope of the present. Maybe you're focusing more on yesterday than on today. Maybe you're focusing on what is rather than what, or what was rather than what is. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're empowering the past to victimize you rather than to be empowered in the present to move forward in Christ. Regret is interesting because it's full of these unfulfilled disappointments and expectations. It's shattered hopes. It's shattered dreams. It's the failures. It's the tragedies. It's the sins. It's the mistakes. It's the misjudgments. It's all of those things. Regrets. Regrets are also interesting because regrets come from ourselves or from others or maybe events. From ourselves, we look at the actions that we've done 
The things that I wish I had never done. You ever think about that? The list of things that I wish I had never done. Or, or maybe it's the inactions, the things that I didn't do that I wish I did. And maybe it's for others as well, others in my own life, the things that they did that I wish they hadn't done or the things that I wish they had done, but they didn't. Whatever it is, the regret has this tendency to harbor in people's lives. Now, I want to tell you that regret in and of itself can be a positive thing or a negative thing. Now, most of us think of regret in a negative way. We think of all the terrible things, all the difficulties, all the pains that come from regret. But I want you to think that your regrets, the things from your past, the troubles, the trials, the difficulties, the decisions that you've made, if you live in truth and if you live under the sovereign hand of God, it can move from harmful to helpful. It can trans be transformative. You can move from regret through repentance to rejoicing in your life through the struggles that you have. But the vast majority of us make the struggles from our past the biggest thing, and that's why we have no freedom. That's why we're stuck in the past. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Romans 8, probably too much time in Romans 8, not enough time this day, but I want you to turn to Romans cha I mean, Acts chapter 9, because I want to talk to you about the author of Romans 8. And I want you to see how he handled his regrets, how he handled his struggles. Acts chapter 9 is the testimony of Saul. Now Saul was this man in Tarsus, and you know him, he became the Apostle Paul, and he wrote 12 books, maybe 13 books in the New Testament. But before he was a believer, before he was transformed by God, he was living a life full of regrets and he didn't know it. Watch in Romans 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, that's what Paul was doing, Saul, at the time. He was living his life thinking that he was doing the godly thing. He was blinded and he was living in just such anger and holding back the gospel. He was trying to attack Christianity. He thought he was doing right. But if you're familiar with Acts chapter 9, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, as, as Paul is going to do this, he apprehends Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that Jesus said that when you're persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're persecuting me. And what he does is he converts Paul to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He regenerates him. He opens his eyes. He brings him to salvation. He takes his radical life, and he does something different with it. He says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. Now, what does Paul do with his regret? What does Paul do with his mistakes? What does he do with his sins, the, all the things that he had done? Look, jump down to verse 20, um, 21. It says, well, actually, let's do verse 20. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And this is after Paul, Saul, has been um, converted. And immediately he proclaimed in the synagogues that he is the son of God. What does he do? He takes his regret and he preaches the gospel. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is this not the man that made havoc in Jerusalem, those who called upon the name? And is he not the one who's come here for a purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? 
They knew that what Paul's mission was, was to imprison Christians, and they knew his past, and they were bringing his past up, and what did Paul continue to do? Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all what? Afraid of him. His past was constantly revisiting it over and over again, but what does Paul do? When his past keeps coming up, he doesn't do what you and I tend to do with our past. When the past gets brought up by our spouse or by our friends or by other people, we have a tendency to get angry. We have a tendency to control. We have a tendency to dominate. We have a tendency to defend ourselves. That's not what Paul does. What Paul does is amazing. But he says this in verse 28, so he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. See, that's what Paul did. He took his regret, he repented, but then he rejoiced in God as Savior. Those are the three things I want you to think about this morning. Repent, regret, repent, rejoice. So if you get nothing else that I say today, regret, repent, rejoice, and be free. Let's pray. So Lord, as we begin today... There's so many of us sitting in this room right now that are living their lives with regret. Maybe it's regret of things that they did decades ago. Maybe it's a regret of things that they did minutes ago, but they're living their lives in regret. And Father, Paul could have defended himself. Paul could have gotten angry. Paul could have gotten controlling. Paul could have made it all about himself. But what Paul did was he took his regret, he repented, and then he rejoiced in your son. Help us to hear that counsel today. And as we move into this new year, Lord, help us to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we begin, I want you to consider the areas that you regret. Perhaps on the sheet of paper that you have in front of you, maybe you want to write down, what are some of your greatest regrets that you have in life? What are some of those things that you wish you had done differently? Write it down so that you could see it. Because it's important to to memorialize that because we need to know what our regrets are, but you don't just know what your regrets are. We're gonna follow some principles from Romans chapter eight and how to feel, how to deal with it. So what are your biggest regrets and how do you handle them? So I wanna give you some principles about overcoming regret, putting your past in its place, and the first, principle that I want you to know is that we need to recognize that we are broken people and we live in a broken world. See, I think for some reason that just seems so clear, James. That's, that's so obvious. It's obvious that we all live in a broken world and we're broken people, but I don't think it is very obvious to many people. I think some people think that we live in a great world with no problems and that you're going to be in a relationship with no pain, no sorrow, no tears, and that's just not reality you're going to live with a lot of pain in this world. Now, if you were thinking about the list of the regrets that are probably there on your list, I I don't know, some of the biggest regrets, some people wish they had spent more time with their loved ones. They get to the end of their lives and just wish I had spent more time with my loved ones. For some of us, we wish we had worried less. For others, we wish we had forgiven more. For some of us, I wish I had stood up for myself. I wish I had lived a better life. I wish I had been more honest. I I wish I had worked less. Isn't that interesting? I need to hear that counsel. Um, I wish I cared less about what other people think about me. I wish I'd taken better care of my body. I wish I had faced my fears. I wish I had stopped chasing the things that were wrong. I wish I had lived with more purpose. I wish I had actually read the Bible. 
I don't know what the list of wishes are, but inevitably, people's regrets tend to fall in categories of relationships. They tend to fall into categories of education and employment. They tend to fall into categories of emotion and goals. And they tend to fall into categories of spiritual life. So what are your biggest regrets? What are the things that you hold on to? You need to recognize that you are living in a broken world and you are a broken person. Romans chapter one through seven covers, Paul lays out and he says that God has given righteousness, a standard for righteousness. If you look in Romans one, it talks about the fact that righteousness is there and God expects there to be perfection, but you can't achieve it. And he says in Romans 1 that you will live unrighteous and ungodly. You were set up to glorify God and be grateful to him, but you do exactly the opposite. That's what we all do. We have this tendency to create these idols in our lives. We fail. And then Romans chapter 2 talks about the fact you could be a religious person, but that's not good enough. Your religiosity is not going to be the righteous standard that you need to live because you will never live perfect. You could be a Jewish person in Romans 3. You could have all the blessings of the Jewish nation, but you could still fail because you are trusting in yourself rather than trusting in Christ. And in Romans 3, he says this. He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That as I look at every single person in this room, every single person that hears my voice, every single one of us stand under the fact that we are sinners. We have fallen away from God. But where does it stop? Does it stop there? No, we have fallen away from God and then we will stand before God and be judged by God. But how do you stand before God righteous? Well, what he does is he does this beautiful thing. You're broken people, broken world, but he gives you a beautiful savior. He gives you a beautiful savior. Jesus Christ came here to live perfect and righteous for every single one of us that trust in him. His perfect life has now been applied to your account that when God looks at his believer, he doesn't look in the life of regret. He doesn't look in the life of condemnation. He doesn't look at you as guilt. What he does is he looks at you as righteous in his sight, perfectly loved, and he applies every blessing from Christ to you. A broken person, a broken world, but beautiful savior. And Romans 3 says he, he reconciles you and all the anger that he had for his sin, your sin, he placed it upon Christ. And the, all of that sin and all of that anger is gone in Christ. What a beautiful gospel. And what he says is this, this is not new. I did this with Abraham in the Old Testament chapter four. I did it with David as well. And he says, therefore, you have been justified by faith. You have peace with God. God wants to pour peace upon your life because you have been reconciled with him and you've been justified in his sight. So step number one in understanding your regrets and to live past them is to remind yourself you're broken, a broken person. We live in a broken world, but you have a beautiful savior. Let that so ring through your heart and your life. Let the gospel ring through your heart and your life. That's what Paul did. When Paul was reminded of his sin, what did he do? He went back to his savior. He went back to the beautiful gospel and he shared it over and over again. So how do you overcome your regret? Step number one, you need to recognize you're broken people, a broken world, but you have a beautiful savior. Step number two, in order to overcome your regret is to live guilt free. Paul lays all of that out in Romans chapter one through seven. He gets to the end of Romans seven. He says, the things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, I do. What a wretched man that I am. Who will ever separate me from this body of sin and death? But what does he say? 
Thanks be to God who's given me victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who has set him free. And then he goes into Romans 8.1. And if you don't know this verse, you need to memorize it. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that I wasn't full of regret. Paul was. So were you. But Paul repented of that, and he went to the cross, and he received the grace of God, the righteousness of God, and he was set free. You need to live guilt-free. Now, some of you sit here today feeling guilty because you are guilty. You've broken God's law. You've broken God's standards. You've broken God's commandments, and you are guilty before God. We call that objective guilt. Some of you sit here this morning and feel guilty because you objectively were wrong. That's fine. Some of you sit here feeling guilty over something that you haven't done wrong. That's a problem. There's some of you that sit here are guilty but don't feel it. You're detached from your guilt. You have broken God's standard. You've broken God's law. You have stand under his judgment and you don't sense it. I don't want to be too morbid here, but if I had a corpse that was lying in front of me and I put a hundred pound weight on that corpse, what would that corpse feel? Nothing. See, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he felt nothing. He actually thought he was doing right. He thought he was honoring God. He felt no weight of guilt into his life until Christ apprehended him on that road to Damascus, opened his eyes, and now he saw what I am doing is I'm sinning against God. Some of you desperately need to hear that you're sinning against God and that the answer is not your righteousness. The answer is Christ's righteousness. But for those of you that do know Christ, there is therefore now, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. That means your righteous standards. You can't do it. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What he's saying is this. You need righteousness. You need to have a perfect standing before me, but you can't do it. I've given you my son to do it. He lived it perfectly for you. He died in your place for your failures. All you need to do is to trust in him. So you live your life in regret because, number one, you don't recognize you're a broken person and broken world and a beautiful savior. You live your life in regret because you live your life full of guilt and condemnation. You don't go to the cross. You don't go to Christ. You go, don't go to the freedom that is only found in him. You're not feeling the weight of your sin, and therefore you're not toning, finding the only answer in Christ. Living guilt-free is entirely possible for the person who trusts in Christ's incredible grace. When you trust in the amazing grace of God, it doesn't mean that you don't feel bad for your sin, but you focus more on the Savior and you move forward by his grace and glory. Step number one, you're a broken person in a broken world, a beautiful savior. Step number two is live guilt-free. Step number three, learn from your past. Learn from your past. Romans 8, verses 5 through 11 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, believer, hear this. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that I I need you to start to learn to live and learn from your past. So, So many of us need to remind ourselves that we are forgiven and free. Many of us have faced difficulties in our life, difficult past situations, whether it's ours or somebody else that has done it to us. But Paul is saying don't focus on the things of the flesh. Don't focus on the things of sinful nature. Don't focus on the things of the world. Focus on the spirit. Let the spirit speak to you. Let his mind, the mind of Christ, so dwell in you. And when you allow the mind of Christ to dwell on you, he focuses you away from sin to the same away from your guilt to grace, away from the trauma and the trials to the testimony that he wants to do in your life. You're forgiven. You're free. It can feel like an achingly long journey learning the valuable lessons from our mistakes, but it's important. Those things that you wrote down on the paper, the things, the greatest regrets as you start to look at them, learn from them. I can learn from them because I'm a broken person, broken world, beautiful savior. I can live, learn from them because I live guilt-free. I can learn from my past. I could change. I could become different. I can grow. Let the Holy Spirit so define you and transform you. Let the Holy Spirit take his word and plant it deep in your hearts this year. And let the Holy Spirit take that word that is sufficient, eternal, authoritative. It's life-giving and it's life-changing. It wants to transform you. Let that word do that. So you want to overcome your guilt? Step number four is stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the English pastor from the prior century, and he, he preached a series of sermons called Spiritual Depression. And in that series, one of the lines that he uses is that we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. I love that line. Some of you are listening to lies, lies of condemnation. Maybe it's a family member or a friend that are just constantly condemning you. Maybe it's yourself. I have no idea. Constantly bringing you to the sin, exposing that sin in your life over and over and over again. But you're not hearing the voice of truth that you're forgiven and free if you're in Christ. That God doesn't look at you that way any longer. He looks at you as transformed. He actually looks at you as though you lived the righteous life of Christ. That is how God looks at you. But for some reason, we condemn ourselves when God is not condemning us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive and bring it obediently to Christ. In Romans, a little bit later, he says, renew your minds. In Proverbs, it says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Where are you planting your mind? What are the thoughts that are dominating your mind and your heart? If you ever want to live free of regret, overcoming regret, you need to stop listening to those lies, and you need to start to talk to yourself the truth of God's word. But you will never be able to talk yourself the truth of God's word unless you're in God's word. 
So this year, I ask you to commit to reading God's word. I love meditating on God's word. I love memorizing God's word. I want to eat God's word up because there is going to be a time where this book is going to be taken from you in our nation. A persecution may come where this book is taken away from you, where we may not be able to sit in this church in safety. Will you be able to cling to your faith if you do not have that faith deep down within? If that Bible is taken away from you, if that app is taken away from you, how are you ever going to live? You need to stop listening to yourself. You need to start talking to yourself, and you start talking to yourself about the good news of the gospel of God's grace. Philippians 4, it says, replace those negative thoughts with things that are pure and honorable and good. See, you take those thoughts captive and you replace them. In my counseling, I use this technique. It's called, a, I use a T-chart. In my journal, I would have people draw a line down the middle of the page and a line across the top. On the left-hand side of the page, I would ask them to write down every negative thing that they think of, automatic, unfiltered thoughts. Put them in the left-hand side of the page. And on the right-hand side of the page, I would say, counter those with God's word. Counter them with God's principles. Counter them with the promises that God has given them. And so that T-chart, the negatives here, the truth here, the bondage here, the freedom here, the hurt here, the healing here, So you need to live your life in such a way that you learn from your past and you need to live your life in such a way that you stop listening to yourself and then start to talk to yourself. That moves to step number five. I need you to live intentionally a life of priorities and purpose. It says in Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 13, it says, so then brothers, so he's talking to believers, brothers or sisters, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's this old term, it talked about mortification. Mortification was a process of sanctification. And I'm giving you some theology here. So let's start. When you, the moment that you were saved, you were justified. Justified means that you were declared not guilty before God but you're given a position of righteousness, but you are not practically righteous. That's where sanctification comes in. Sanctification is where I step-by-step live a life of holiness so it lines up that I start to look like dad. I start to take on the family image. Justification is that you would get in a position of righteousness. Sanctification is that you start to live a righteous life. Well, here, you're learning to take control of your life. He says, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If I continue to live like I lived in the old life, I will die. But if I live by the spirit, I will be putting to death the deeds of the body and I will live. So what he's saying is this, I need you to live with intention and purpose. Why am I here and what is my purpose? What's the intention of my life? Now what Paul did is what you and I need to do. Paul knew that the intention of his life was to preach the gospel. He knew that the moment of his conversion, God rescued him. God could have damned him to hell, but God did not. God rescued him, saved him for a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. And that's what he did. He didn't get dominated with his sin. He got dominated with his savior and he spoke about his savior. He didn't get dominated with his guilt. He got dominated with the gospel. So overwhelmed with the gospel and he lived and he preached that gospel message. You and I need to do the same. Why are you here? 
You're here to reflect God. What are you called to do? Speak the gospel. There are people outside this church that do not know Christ, that I will never be able to touch. Tim and Doug will never be able to touch, but you can. Let the gospel so reign in your life and then so reign through your life so that you become an extension of the chapel at Warren Valley, that we, we preach to you, we teach you, and then you go out to the world and live. Stop living in no regret. Start living in gospel grace. It moves us to step number six. You need to crush your self-image issues. It's interesting, the world is um, dominated with self-image, right? How you feel about yourself, you know, we give trophies to every little kid that does anything. And it's like, because we don't want them to feel badly. That's just such baloney, it's crazy. Who am I? You need to define yourself. And so many of us live our lives with distorted self-image. Image is such a big thing today, identity and image. And people are trying to find their identity in their sexuality. They're trying to find their identity in the people that they have in their lives. They try to find their identity in the things that they do to their bodies. They try to find their identity in possessions. They try to find their identity in so many things. And what God says is, I want you to find your identity in my son. Watch, in verse 14, he says this. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Daddy, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. You crush your self-image issues by going to Christ. You're a child of the king. Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I live in a broken world, but I've got a beautiful savior. I'm an adopted child of God. I am loved. I am accepted. I am secure. I am free. Do you believe that? I'm an overcomer. Do you believe that? My sin is behind me. At least the position of my sin is behind me, and I look forward to glory. Do you believe that? So you crush the self-image issues, not by turning what the world says back to yourself and loving yourself, accepting yourself, forgiving yourself. That's all baloney. What you do is you crush that self-image issue by going to the Christ and going to his cross and recognizing that you are loved and accepted and free in Christ. You overcome your regret by recognizing you're broken people in a broken world. You overcome your regret by living guilt-free. You overcome your regret by learning from your past. You overcome your regret by stop living for yourself and stop talking to yourself. You overcome your regret by living intentionally a life of purpose and priority. You live in overcoming regret by crushing your self-image issues. You live by overcoming your regrets by developing a grateful heart. Verse 18 says this, for I consider the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. He, he had such a, a mindset that he says, the suffering that I'm going through right now is nothing in comparison to future glory, that, that when I take my last breath and when I see Christ, I am gonna be free. That's what Paul would dominate. Paul lost his 
he died by his losing his head. It was painful. But what Paul was doing, the moment he took his last breath, the instant he's in heaven, all the suffering in this world is not comparing. He says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God and the creation which was subjected to futility, brokenness, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What he's saying is this. He's saying that I want you to live in such a way that through the sufferings and the trials and the troubles that you have, don't get dominated by them. Get dominated with Christ and look forward in future hope and future glory that you overcome your regret by putting the past in its place and moving forward by the gospel grace. See, when you develop an attitude of gratitude, you can start to see God's goodness in your life. Then in verse 28, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose, for to those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined means that he chose you before, he also called, he means like he did with Paul on the road to Damascus, he called. And those he called, he also justified. Justified means that he declares you not guilty. And those he justified, he also glorified. He says that I am making you new and you will ultimately be brand new. I want you to see God's goodness in your life. I want you to search it out. I want you to write it down. I want you to speak it out. That's what Paul did. He saw the goodness of how God treated him. He searched it out in scripture. He wrote it down that we are uh, reading from today. And then he spoke it out. He shared it with everybody in his life. He was not dominated by his sin. He was dominated by his savior that did something in him and then through him. That's what he wants to do with you. I want you to serve other people with compassion. That's what Paul did. People were looking and bringing up his past sin, but Paul said, I'm so dominated with my Savior that I want to love you into the kingdom. I want to speak to you into the kingdom. The kingdom became more important to him, and Christ became more important to him than his past regrets. Last principle I want you to consider is this. I need you to move forward in faith hope and love. So you overcome your regrets by doing that. This last section is so beautiful. What shall we say to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's going from the greater to the lesser. He says, if I've given you my son, can I forgive this little sin that's there in your life? Can I over, um, overlook this area in your life? Can I transform you? I've given you the greater. I can deal with the lesser. If he's given you his son, 
Will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall ever bring a charge against God's elect? Many times I bring charges against me, myself. Maybe it's many times other people bring charges against me. Maybe it's family members or friends that have brought charges against you and, and saying that you've not been forgiven, you've not been free. But why does it say? Who is to bring charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies, declares you righteous. Who is to condemn you? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that. He was raised and is at the right hand of God who's interceding for us. He's praying for you right now. Who will ever separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regard it as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're ever going to overcome your regret, you need to recognize that you're a broken person living in a broken world and you need a beautiful savior. If you're ever going to overcome your regret, you need to live guilt-free. If you're going to do it, you need to learn from your past so that you can move forward in your future. You need to stop listening to yourself and you start to talk to yourself. You need to live with intention, priorities, and purpose. You need to crush the self-image issues in your life. You need to develop gratitude in your heart, and you need to live with faith, hope, and love. I'll close with this. Let's go back to Paul. So Paul could have been dominated with his regret. In fact, there are two different types of regret. There's one regret that leads to worldliness, ourselves, leads to death. There's a second type of regret that leads to life and hope in Christ. Paul chose to take his regret and remind himself of two words, but God. I'm going to end with these two passages and we'll close. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath under God's anger. Just like the rest of mankind, but here's the two words, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that at the coming age, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards those who are in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But God, 
Look at the, the guilt that is there, but he went right from guilt to grace and led to gratitude. Last passage. In 1 Timothy chapter one, he said this. This is Paul. Paul recognized his regret, but he had repented and he rejoiced. Watch what it says. So I thank him, Christ, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. The formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. And then he ends with this. Would you stand with me? To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So as you leave here this morning, we'll sing a song and then we'll leave, but I want you to think of those three words. Regret, repent, Rejoice and be free. Father, we thank you. Some of us are dominated with major guilt in our lives. I don't know if we're murderers like Paul was. I don't know if we've imprisoned people. I don't know. But I do know this, that the Bible is full of heroes of the faith that did some terrible things. Abraham treated his wife so terribly. Jacob lied to his dying father. David took another man's wife and then murdered him. Jonah had the opportunity to share the gospel with people and he hid. Peter, on the night that Christ was betrayed, denied him. Solomon, who we're preaching from in Ecclesiastes, had a thousand women and turned away from the faith at times in his life. We have done some horrendous things, but Father, I thank you that where our sin is great, your grace is greater. So help us to live in your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. my worth my worth is not in what I own not in the strength of flesh and bone but in the costly wounds of love at the cross my worth is not in skill in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flow at the cross.
and I rejoice. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, the greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. As summer flowers, as summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast. And I will not boast in wealth or mind. Or human wisdom's fleeting life, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. And I rejoice, and I rejoice in my Redeemer, the greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him, no my soul is satisfied in him alone and i rejoice in my redeemer the greatest treasure wellspring of my soul and i will trust in him no other my soul is satisfied in him Two wonders. Two wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. And I rejoiced in my redeemed treasure wellspring of my soul and I will trust in him no other my soul is satisfied in him alone my soul is satisfied in him alone If I could get the Mercers to come up, yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows, but the Mercers are heading on down to Virginia, 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 in the Richmond area, and this is their, uh, unless they come back for a visit, this is their last Sunday with us. Um, I don't know if all of you have gotten to know Dave and Patty, but over the years, wherever their feet have been planted, they have done the work of Christ, whether it was in this congregation or other congregations. 
through finances and Christian education, through Bible studies in their home for, for teens. Um, their, their life has been about service to Christ. So we wanted to get them up this, this morning, thank them for the work that they've done here. Uh, even all that dirty work when we were remodeling this building, Dave. <laughs> A lot of dirty work, yeah. Um, and, and just express our gratitude uh, for the work you've done and also just being our brother and sister. Um, I think back to a, a prayer um, that I remember from, a, from my childhood that talked about how we're not worthy to gather up the crumbs under God's table, but he has made us children. And as we are all his children, those that have accepted Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And now with siblings moving on to another place, it's sad, but we rejoice in the opportunities that God's already prepared when you plant your feet in the Richmond area. Um, we just want to pray now um, that God will open doors of opportunity for you there, because we know that is the greatest thing on your heart. Um, we also want to pray for your safety and that everything just goes smoothly. So um, if we could all just bow. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have uh, blessed us with um, having the privilege of, of working with Dave and Patty and, and being their brothers and sisters and uh, having them as a part of our community and our family here, Lord God. Uh, Lord, we will miss them as we do with anyone that moves on, uh, Lord God, but we pray that you would open up doors of opportunity for them. Lord God, we pray that you would bless their ears to be able to hear you and with wisdom that um, you would direct them, Lord, into the paths where they would be most effective for you and for your kingdom, Lord God. We pray you would bless their lips as they speak to people and uh, influence them for the name of Christ. We pray you would give them the mind of Christ and that you would strengthen them, Lord God, with many, many years of service. Uh, Lord, open uh, the ears and eyes of those that they would uh, come in contact with so that they might see Christ in them and uh, that they might come to your saving grace through their work in the Richmond area. Lord, we thank you that you have already prepared places for them to be and people for them to meet. And we pray that your will would be done and that your Holy Spirit would just work so profoundly in them uh, that they would be established there quickly and immediately have an impact in the community that you take them to, Lord God. We pray for uh, Peter also that, uh, I don't know like, if he's got employment set up yet, but just that you would meet his needs uh, for fellowship and employment and all the things that he needs uh, to, as a young man to uh, just flourish, Lord God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. And we also have a, a small gift for you just to get your house set up a little bit. And, oh, absolutely. Hi, I just can't pass this opportunity up to let you all know how much, I, I didn't know we were coming up, but this is, this is the song of my heart for all of you because we have loved you so much. We have been so humbled by the godly example of all of you and the way that you live your lives unto the Lord, that I, I think we could call you all out by name and um, 
not just by watching the way you live, not even by what you've said so much over the years or even conversations that we've had, but this is such a beautiful place. It's like a little touch of heaven on earth. So as we go, we take that with us. And um, I was always kind of a person that would hold things to myself, but because of the love of so many of you, I was able to just kind of be genuine and, and learn what it's like to be in community, which is the word that's used around here so much, you know, and, and just to be part of the body and to be brothers and sisters. So we will love you forever and always right into eternity. <laughs> and this is too short. So we're so grateful to God that we have eternity with all of you. So God bless you always. You're in our hearts as we go. So you're going to Virginia with us, just so you know. <laughs> no. Do you have anything? Thank you all. That's remarkable. <laughs> right, that I don't talk, but just every single one of you is a, an inspiration. This is not something, you know, this is something God built, and, and we didn't, uh, we walked into this. Thank you for accepting us, letting us serve. I would, if I have one thing to say to every single one of you, it would be find a spot and serve in it and serve as best as you can because there's nothing better than serving. Not a single thing in this whole house is better than finding a spot that you can serve and doing it to the best that you can. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh. No, we're going to take it up a notch. At the end of any great performance, right, what do you do? The people get it? Just give me one second. They get up on their feet and they applaud, right? And I think we need to applaud the love that this couple has shared with us. So everybody get up on your feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. All right. God bless.